everybody. This is Carrie from the Weird World Podcast. Hi, Carrie. Hi. We're doing part two of D.B. Cooper. Uh-huh. I already introduced myself. I'm Carrie. Oh, I'm Jack. Who are you clowns? Carrie's <laughs> <laughs> feisty today. God damn. I'm Dean. I'm Emma. So, Dean. Yeah. Yeah. Catch us up. Okay, I'll catch you up. I will yeah. actually do that. I'll recap. From part one, give you a quick recap before we dig into part two. Part one was the actual crime, mm-hmm. the event itself. A man named Dan Cooper. Wait, the alleged crime. No, it's pretty clear Allegedly. they're crime. Allegedly. hijacking. <laughs> it's uh, hijacking for ransom is indeed a crime. You're afraid he's going to sue you for slander? Is that what you're liable? You're afraid yeah. of that? Come out of hiding after half a century and... You never you know. Because you said, we said, okay. Well, anyway, a man named Dan Cooper paid cash for the one-way ticket from Portland, Oregon to Seattle, Washington on Thanksgiving Day, 1971. He was dressed in a nice business suit, but his business was hijacking. <laughs> <laughs> he was polite but firm. He wanted $200,000. He wanted two parachutes. And the plane had to be refueled as soon as it landed at SeaTac Airport. The plane, in fact, was held in a holding pattern, as you might recall, for about two hours. I do recall that. With the mm-hmm. poor flight attendant, Tina Mucklow, sitting next to Cooper the entire time, the last row, last seat of the, of the plane, praying that he wasn't going to get too impatient. Lucky for her and everyone else on the plane, he did not. In fact, Cooper got everything he wanted. He got 200000 bucks. He got two parachutes when they landed in Seattle. They refueled the plane. He ordered it to take off again and heading this time for Reno, Nevada. He wanted to get some gambling. Probably. No, he did not. His real plan, though, was pretty obvious, you know, given the whole parachutes and things. He was so somewhere over southwestern Washington State, in all likelihood, Cooper jumped with a canvas money bag (laughs) tied to his waist. The plane landed in Reno, and as expected, it was missing one very nondescript, well dressed passenger. So the hunt was on for D.B. Cooper, the nation's first successful hijacker. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. At An least inspiration for now. to me, and I'm being I honest. And I plan yeah. to be the second. <laughs> okay, well, hopefully no one's listening to this. Yeah, it would be yeah. much harder to much, do much, it now. Much, much harder. Yeah. yeah. Ransom for money. I mean, I, yeah. yeah. That's why, I mean, hijackings really aren't for money anymore. No. I mean, they are almost always... Or, oh, by the way, in part one, I mentioned that a lot of early hijackings were political. Often, it was to get out of, like, Iron Curtain countries early on, oh. uh, or after World War II, anyway, uh, um, and to escape repression. At least, I mean, that was one of the motivations. Yeah. So the whole skyjacking for money was fairly novel at the time, as we talked about last time. So today, this episode, we're going to talk about the search, the investigation, for D.B. Cooper. This is where we start again, right after the plane has landed. The security team, as we talked about, swarmed over the 727 in Reno. They searched the plane, guns drawn, found no one. They're just trying to make sure that they didn't, you know, the hijacker wasn't hiding it in an overhead or something like that, hmm. trying to pull, pull off that brilliant plot twist, maybe dressing like a pilot and just walk out of there yeah. nice and Ooh. calmly, maybe with a big bulge under his jacket. That would have to be explained. <laughs> that almost got weird. That almost got real weird. $200,000 in cash, weighed 21 pounds, was in a large canvas knapsack. So that would be tough. But or he, I guess he could have tossed the knapsack out because we know he opened the, the back door and then lowered the stairs. Maybe he tossed the knapsack out, figured he'd you know do the whole trick and then go back and get it. No? No? I'm hearing no? no that no. wouldn't be a very smart idea. I no, it wouldn't. But he was not on there. And as we know, he leapt 
into the sky somewhere over southern Washington. So, so the security personnel that came onto the plane was quickly replaced by a forensic team. Mm. They scoured the plane, and they did indeed come up with some evidence. Oh. 66 fingerprints that could not be matched against the passengers or the crew. Wow. Wow. Wait. Well, I well mean, it, it is a commercial exactly. airplane, so... Yeah. Almost certainly they were from past passengers, yes. I have to think. I mean, yeah. 66. Good Lord. He wasn't. He was like everywhere touching everything. <laughs> <laughs> so, he probably yeah. didn't really touch anything. Yeah. Probably not. No, he was not very cautious. Yeah. Yeah. Still, they cataloged all these 66 fingerprints. They kept them just in case to check against any future suspect they might develop. Sure. Cooper also left behind his black clip-on tie and a little pearl tie clip that he wore. He left that behind as well. pearl tie clip? There's a little tie clip and a little pearl, probably a fake pearl, on the front of it. I appreciate that because that is my birthstone. There you go. It's called... I'm liking him more and more. Yeah. (laughs) Is it pearl or mother of pearl? I don't know. Actually. <laughs> oh my goodness! It's gonna bug me. A little confused. Me. Why you're really? Is that important? Okay. Well, I don't know. Sorry. Is it satin or satin? There's <laughs> 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 this big difference. Does it? Girl. Yeah. Is no, it, it doesn't. Not really. No. <laughs> it literally makes. Zero How about just difference. a whitish dot on a tie clip? How's that? Does that make you? Is that better? <laughs> Girl, it was abalone. Now let's move on. <laughs> so he also left behind one of the two parachute sets yeah he don't need to no he did not that is one primary and one reserve chute as we talked about last time that yeah. was pure genius it made the authorities think he might take a hostage so they yep. couldn't sabotage that chute thinking he got big brain he does the remaining primary chute they left behind by the way had been opened and he had cut two lines oh off the canopy so it's very likely that is what he used to secure the knapsack and then secure the knapsack oh. around his body. So he probably just tied it off because these are long, sure. long ropes yeah. and probably nylon, I imagine. And he t- you know, tied everything and got it nice and secure on his person, probably hugging the shit out of it yeah. as he yeah. flew into the uh, air. I mean, I can see the cartoon version of him just <laughs> trailing through the air with a, a money trail behind him <laughs> and no. all his thousands are leaving him as we speak. That would truly suck. Actually, yeah. when we get to suspects next episode, that might have happened. Uh-oh. So we'll see. So the key piece of evidence, though, was, of course, the sketch. They actually did get a sketch of him? Oh, yeah. They interviewed several witnesses who had got a good look at Cooper, and FBI artists came up with a soon-to-be-famous sketch. I mean, before he put his sunglasses on. I yeah, well, they had both. They actually did it both ways. It portrayed this kind of, I guess, a little bit balding, middle-aged white guy. Most people thought he was in his mid-40s. I look at it, I think he could be anywhere from his late 30s to the mid-40s. He's in a suit and ties. We talked about he had dark hair, brown hair, but generally just these completely forgettable features. Mm-hmm. Even the FBI would describe him as, quote, nondescript. Yeah. Plain. Yeah, he was. He Which read, again, he read the description like what? what? Honestly, no. He's like, bitch, hell yes. Ain't nobody gonna recognize me. <laughs> no, he was very hard. I mean, he looked like a lot of white, almost middle-aged American males at the time. Yeah. That was uh, if you were that approximate type in age, and you had brown hair, it wasn't. He also had kind of these. He was described as like piercing eyes. They're a little bit close together. But they're pretty intense eyes. As I well. don't like close together eyes. No, well, they weren't crazy. They weren't like full on. Um, I'm not going to say the name of the actor. Yeah, he has no, very close eyes. Nice. But uh, he, they weren't like oddly close together, but they were a little bit. But they're they're piercing. The FBI did a companion sketch 
with dark sunglasses on. So they had one with and one without sunglasses. Just like, have you seen this guy? He might be wearing sunglasses. <laughs> <laughs> and they sent both of those out into the world, hoping that someone saw that face as someone that they knew. As we'll talk about again in the next episode, that turned out to be way the hell too many people. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. But again, we'll, we'll get to that with suspects, because if it was up to America, there were thousands of suspects. Or, no, I'm sorry, absolute 100% for certain, my friend Tom is the hijacker. <laughs> so, though we will talk far more about how, um, oh shit, what the fuck am I talking about? <laughs> um, <laughs> we're keeping that. <laughs> no. Well, well, I, again, we'll, we'll talk about the suspects for D.P. Cooper next time, but I want to mention one suspect right now because he became very critical to the legend of D.P. Cooper. So the Portland police knew of a guy with a minor criminal record, and they thought he looked a little bit like the sketch, and someone, some genius on the Portland police had this fantastic idea that, hey, maybe the hijacker was dumb enough to use his real name or something really close to his real name. Mm-hmm. So let's look into this, this guy I know who's a perp of a minor third-rate criminal. So the Portland police went and they spoke with D.B. Cooper, third-rate Portland perp. They quickly ruled him out, but in that, yeah. that mad initial rush where the media is just falling all over themselves to get any kind of information. It was immediately a big story. So the media is trying, this is like the next day or the next day after that. It's early on, right? And someone in a local, apparently a local reporter named James Long knew about the Portland police were looking into this D.B. Cooper guy. He apparently mixed that up with what everybody really, what the airline had said from the beginning. He called himself Dan Cooper and bought that ticket under the name Dan Cooper. And so James Long called him D.B. Cooper that was picked up by the wire services, either the UPI or the AP, no one's quite sure. Right away, Dan Cooper became D.B. Cooper almost immediately because at this time, every newspaper in the country used the wire services. It was super right, common. Yeah. By the way, I found the initial story in the New York Times and they called him D.B. Cooper. So it happened very, oh, wow. very quickly. Damn. So almost immediately, Dan Cooper, we should all know him as Dan Cooper, but no one does. We all know him as D.B. Cooper yeah, because probably. of this mistake. Honestly, that's probably another lucky thing for him. It is. Yeah. It's much more intriguing kind of a name. Yeah. D.B. Cooper. That's a cool well, name. Also, Dan Cooper, like, that's as not a script as his face. People hear the word, the name Dan Cooper, and they don't automatically think a heist. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Probably true. D.B. So, Cooper, watch this guy. He yeah. kind of blend in a little bit bomb. more. If he ever. Oh, I'm, I have no doubt. He wanted to have a forget, forgettable name yeah. along yeah. with forgettable face. He, he just had a, a total super just run-of-the-mill suit. Kind of a thing going on. Yeah, he, he wanted to, to fade into the background for sure. Me too. Melt into the scenery. Sure, sure. I want to be front and center. Yes, she does. <laughs> no. <laughs> the FBI and local authorities had to wait for the next day and wait for the weather to clear a little bit before they could really get on with the hunt for D.B. Cooper. <laughs> One D.B. Cooper, I, re- I think it was in, I'm not positive, but I think it was in that HBO special, The Mystery of D.B. Cooper, but one some like a current D.B. Cooper, enthusiast and hunter, he said that, he goes, well, Cooper effectively got like 40-hour head start before the authorities got on the ground and tried to find him. Oh, because of the weather? That's not true. I'm 99% sure he's full of shit. That's just way too long. It's it's exaggerated. But for sure, because that person is kind of an enthusiast that Cooper lived and, you know, wants him to have lived and, and got away with it, right? 
For sure, though, D.B. Cooper had many, many hours until well into the next day before, and probably even a little bit longer than that, before there was a, a significant number of boots on the ground and there was people swarming all over the place in that southwestern Washington area north of Florida, Portland, Oregon, where they initiated their search. So he, he clearly he had a head start. He did it at the right time. Remember, he jumped at about 8.15, 8.20, something like that p.m. He would have had, at minimum, 12 hours, probably 18 or 20, before a significant number of people were out looking in, in, around that area. Do you think they searched Longview, Washington? I mm. bet they did. Oh, my God. They certainly searched. That's, that's in the area. And yeah. They, I'm sure they searched uh, near there, for sure. Too bad I can't ask any of my relatives if they remember it. Why can't you? Why? Because they're dead. Wow, <laughs> Carrie. Yeah. Way to bring us all down. You said that like you killed them. Yeah, Because they're, they're dead. Because they're dead. Like, now. you know, Grandma Polly. And okay, wait. Hold up. Let's start naming your relatives. Yeah. <laughs> that's weird. She's so going to name all of her dead relatives. That's, that's kind of weird, Carrie. Which brings up the obvious question. What was Cooper's plan exactly at this point? Right? What do you mean? You're going to oh, like jump after? into, at night, dark, cold, rainy, you're going to jump into the wilderness with a bunch of money. So I'm sure he had some sort of survival training. Well, let's think about it. He probably did actually. Yeah. Or there's a good chance he did. At best though, okay, say he survives the jump, right? He had a probably he'd, he'd quickly bury the parachute because yes. that's the most it's big, it's colorful. Yeah. You want to get you want to get that out of sight for sure. He let's say he does have the money or at least most of it. <laughs> we'll find out a little bit later he does not have all of it. Ooh. And then what do you do though? It's like I said, it's dark, it's cold, it's raining lightly. Let's. I, I want to first of all just say he absolutely could survive. You hear a lot of people saying, "Oh, he couldn't have lived." Well, yeah. of course he could. I, what? I, the not? high was only fifty-one. That I checked Portland, Oregon. This is only. This is not that far from Portland. So I checked Portland, Oregon, in that that day, and the high was fifty-one. The low though was forty-five. Oh, you could survive forty-five. Yeah, yeah. A lot of folks. Because uh, you hear that a lot. He can't survive the cold, and he, he wouldn't have survived the jump. Um, but he'd only be in the air a few minutes. I know yeah. I'm sure it's much colder at 10,000 feet, and then 9, and then 8, and then 7. But you're you're doing that for not very long at all. Yeah, yeah not long enough to f- die of hypothermia. No. And he had a nice sports coat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yes, he'd be cold, but he could survive. That just annoys me. They say, oh, I yeah. know he's dead. No chance whatsoever. That's just nonsense. So Cooper also clearly knew where he was going to jump. He, he had to have. As, right. we, as we mentioned last time, that area around the north of Portland there, that's really the only sizable kind of flattish area in the, in the region. It's very mountainous, very hilly, very forested. That area though, north of Portland, near, I, I guess that'd be what, east of Longview, Washington, is there's a big wide swath of land that is farming and things like that that you could safely land. Weed. Yeah. Weed, lot, he found probably, a weed farm. He probably did. a lot of hops, too. Hops and weed. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Sounds like a fun state. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that's the safest place to jump. I, I, there's no doubt in my mind that he, he knew all along that's where he was going to yeah. jump. Yeah. Yeah. He planned almost Every everything as we know. Minute. He was never going to rain out. Or, yeah. You know, remember, because he I, I go to Mexico. He just wanted to make them fly south yeah. over this part of southwestern Washington State. And okay, then Reno, sure. And if he's really good, he had stashed some survival gear or something uh, somewhere. There you lose me. Cause I don't think so. So what's the plan after that? Many think that Cooper must have had help. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe, but how precise could that yeah. sort of plan be? It, it couldn't be like no. survival gear. No way. You can go this 20 or 30 or something mile radius and have a good guess, but 
Yeah, absolutely. Too hard. Needle in a haystack to do yeah. survival gear. But that same thing goes with like, you couldn't rely too much on a co-conspirator, if at all, because they're, you know, it's not like you're going to walk out of the woods and have that person waiting for you. Right. That, How would that's they, impossible. And, yeah. yeah. How would they find no cell phones yeah. in those days? But could there have been a, a plan along the lines of, okay, you go in Portland, you wait, or somewhere nearby, whatever, yeah. Longview, Aerial, Washington, whatever. Somewhere in the area, you go there, you have your rugged vehicle, just in case you have to go off-roading a little bit. You have blankets, and, the, and you have a hot coffee in a yeah. thermos, because I'm going to be cold <laughs> as hell. And then I am going to find my way to town X. You come get me. Yeah. Or I will make my way to any payphone or any kind of communication whatsoever in any nearest town. When I, I'll walk out, I'll figure out where I am, I'll find a highway, I'll get to a town, maybe even a farmhouse, and I will communicate, I'll, I'll get to a phone and I'll call you and then I'll hide somewhere, I'll tell you when I'm gonna hide and you come get me. So that Could seems work. pretty yeah. reasonable. That's, that mm-hmm. would be absolutely possible, I think. I think so. But yeah, there's no, I agree. but some, because you hear sometimes like, oh, like some kind of prescribed landing spot or something like that. It's, that there's would be too no hard. way. I don't think yeah. too hard. Because yeah. you, you don't know what the airline's gonna do. Exactly. I was gonna say, you talked about last time how he and the pilots had to discuss yeah, I know. Yeah. alternate yeah. routes. So and they decided like, on Vector 23. Unless yeah. he's a master manipulator yeah. and yeah. this whole time planned to like make them yeah. think they had the option, but really he's like, yeah. I know well, what you're gonna pick. I, I'll I don't say think this. So. He made yeah. sure they were gonna fly south and head over yes. uh, southwestern Washington where he for sure, to go. Where, which is the way he wanted to go. And, and, and that, he, that route to Reno did so. It could have been. LA or something like yeah. that. Yeah. So as once the person said, Oh, how about Reno through this vector? And he knew that vector went over the spot. He said, sure. He said, baby, yeah. yes, please. That's where I'm landing. I think he's smart. I think he is too. Yeah. So well, clearly he planned, pre-planned yeah. everything. Yeah. So he had a plan. Yeah. I mean, he could have hunkered down, right? Wait for first light and then get out there, find a road and follow that road to whatever town. And even then, assuming he had no help, though, could he have made his way somewhere? I mean, could he have, like, I don't know, pre-placed a vehicle? He would have had to, uh, how do you get to it? He would have had to hitchhike or something like that. Yeah, or be a master navigator. Or, yeah. or, or be willing to walk many miles. <sighs> and not, you're right, be a good navigator. But if he knew the roads, well, and he knew once he got on little yeah. route, state route, 15 or whatever, you know, okay, well, I know where that goes. Yeah. And I parked my car, like eight miles, I can walk eight miles, and you walk off the road to, to not be spotted. Uh, again, though, and, and he's doing this probably at dawn. Yeah. So no one's looking for him yet. Mm-hmm. The story didn't really become widely known until the next day, and again, a lot of boots in the, on the ground weren't until later that day. So, and, and he also could have hitchhiked because he mm-hmm. wasn't notorious quite yet. Right. Just some local farmer or something like that. If he did that, though, then that person who picked him up would, took that story to the grave. Yeah, right. <laughs> and why would they? Why well, would they? I'd be well. well maybe I helped he, a felon, maybe but he, you didn't know. And or you could be, maybe he gave paid him. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe that. Yeah, that. I was. Yeah, or he's just some random rural farmer yeah. who that knows nothing. Pay who yeah. doesn't? Yeah. He stays. He's like, I do. I farm my weed and I do nothing. <laughs> that sounds. And he like didn't a weed say, farmer. "Hey, I'm Dan Cooper." He said, "Hey." No, John. but. Unless he disguises himself something like that. Everybody say. saw that sketch. Exactly. And he's wearing a suit. Well, yeah. I, he could have did. Well, no, he'd want to wear the coat because it'd be cold. Yeah, and he, he turned it inside out. out. I was going to say he turned it inside <laughs> out. He ditched the tie. He, yeah. he already the ditched fuck. the tie in the plane. He ditched the sunglasses. Well, yeah. No, I mean, yeah. No, our, our, we're yeah. For sure, 
in some fashion, he could have got out. Given the level of planning seen in almost every part of his whole escapade, it seems likely that he would have thought of some method for getting out of Southwest Washington Mm -hmm. pretty quickly. And his, you said he, his duffel bag that he yeah. brought with him, was that just the bomb? No, the knapsack was where they put the money. No, he, he had, he had, had an, an attache. Uh, a briefcase. He had yes, a briefcase he put the bomb. Hey, did he yeah. take that with him? He, might, he did. He, must, he, say, yeah. he almost certainly tossed it. Yeah. Now, what, so so whether it was real dynamite or not, we'll never know. Yeah. yeah. Mm. I'm wondering if he had supplies somewhere stashed on his person. You know, in readiness. It, yeah. a little, he could have had a couple Small of supplies. granola bars if they were like a rare that. thing in 1971. Yeah. I have no idea. Water but not purification much. tablets. Maybe. Stuff like ta- that. Tablets, maybe. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. It's possible. But he had a. The, 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 uh, Tina Mucklow would have noticed anything a yeah. heavy or bulgy yeah. in his jacket for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But still, he, he planned everything so well. I'm positive he planned how to get out. Yeah, mm-hmm. me too. Whether it was a pre, whether it was somebody helping yeah. him or it was a pre planted vehicle or something like that. And he just had to figure out how to, how to get there. You know, again, he, he knew, if, even if it's 15, 20 miles, yeah. you can walk 15, 20 miles in, yeah. That, yeah. For, in that first day uh, if he knows he, what he's doing. Did he eat on the plane? He had two bourbon and sodas. And I don't know cigarettes. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, he didn't. I don't think he did, no. Yeah, he was just smoking and drinking. Yeah, he probably should have. He probably should have. Carrie's worried about him now. Oh, God, I'm just okay. nervous. <laughs> I, I, I just think okay. we know he was methodical, resourceful, and smart. I, I think he, he got out of there. If he survived he the jump, Hell yeah. he got out of there. Yeah. He knows you can eat the inner bark of pine trees. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you even have to do that. Oh, you even have to be. You don't have to be yeah. a woodsman to have survived that and to got out. Again, you just have to yeah. get from where yeah. we landed to a yeah. road. And then you follow that Pretty road much. to a place. And like I said, there's places all over. There's farmhouses and stuff dotting these little towns. You're gonna if you once yeah. you find a road, you're gonna get somewhere. And probably it was the late 70s. late November probably wasn't the best time. That's very done true. It. I thought about that as well. That was his timing wasn't genius. Yeah. I don't know if there was a reason for that. I like, bet there was. The thing I think we'll see a little bit later about the search is that uh, winter. It's not too winter, but it's almost a winter. And would that impede the investigation, which, as we'll find out in a second, did? Yeah. So oh, maybe. Spoiler okay. alert. A little Jesus. bit, yeah. <laughs> so. I was rather miffed with you. <laughs> she is. She's angry right now. Do you want to take that? Should I edit that out and pretend you didn't hear it? <laughs> yes. No. So, a bigger problem, though, than the weather, because remember, I'm, I'm sort of now back to our story kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, is, remember, we, so we left with the weather was bad, so they delayed the ground search, but a bigger problem was exactly where should the search teams be looking yeah. for D.B. Cooper? Are his body hanging from a parachute somewhere in the piney canopy? Neck thoroughly snapped. That was the theory is that he got, you know, it, it, he snapped his neck or something like that or got stuck up there. Uh, it's like, help. Like from Tarzan. Yeah. Until he, until he, yeah, until he died of thirst. So where should we look for either body or, or, or criminal? As we've covered, the law enforcement had a pretty good idea of when Cooper jumped. The, the flight crew felt the bump. They knew about when he jumped. And they knew roughly over where they thought they were. We'll get more about that in a minute as well. Uh, this still translated, uh, though, into a pretty wide swath of rugged, forested, in parts, sometimes hilly kind of country. It's a, it's a big wilderness. Again, it has some farms and towns, things like, things like that. But this general area also has some pretty wilderness areas. And, you know incredibly difficult to search the entire area. They had no yeah. idea. Somewhere in here, we think, somewhere in that Lewis River in southwestern Washington, we think he jumped. Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> What's more, the presumed area could be off by a variety of factors. 
So winds is the big one. Winds could have impacted the speed and the position of the plane. And so, in other words, the pilots, remember, the pilots were sort of guesstimating where right. they were. They don't know for a certainty where they were. And if, if the wind was acting on them in a way they weren't accounting for, that would widen that potential landing spot of D.B. Coopers. It's amazing airplanes got to where they were going and landed in the right spots back then. Yeah, yeah that's very true. Honestly, I was thinking about that last time. I was just like, they kind of just, they must have just fucking pointed the plane in a direction <laughs> and said, let's go. <laughs> you see the lights. Is that, that looks like Portland to me. Go down there. Compasses. It was probably more than that, but. Yeah. Plus, authorities had no idea how long Cooper stayed in free fall. That was critical. Or if he opened his chute right away, because hmm. the longer he stayed yeah. in free fall, the, um, the more precise they can be. But if he opened his chute after, say, a couple thousand feet and he's able to steer in some direction, that could open up the area, the size of the area yeah. tremendously, yeah. though. And of course, I remember. I would be surprised if he knew that because he yeah. requested the specific kind of parachute. Absolutely. Yeah. He, he said, if you recall from the first episode, he said no to military parachutes that automatically right. Deploy. deployed at 200 feet. And he wanted to, to control the ripcord himself. He and knows. Around, around what time was it? About 8.15, 8.20, somewhere okay, in there. Okay, so it would have been very dark. It was dark, yeah. for sure. So many wondered if he had even been able to open his parachute again. Again, there's a lot of naysayers that think, oh, he didn't make it. He couldn't have made Why it. Why wouldn't he have been able to open his parachute? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Because, because well, Is the fighter jets, remember there were, there were fighter jets falling about two miles behind, trying to keep an eye on the plane, right? Yes. They did not see any parachute open, nor did they pick anything up on their radar. Well... But then again, the same. A lot of people, a lot of the law enforcement folks who say, "Oh, you couldn't survive it," they use the darkness mm-hmm. and the weather conditions for that reason. Well, same goes for you. Didn't see him. Right. It was yeah. dark. Yeah. It was bad weather. And also, you mentioned in the last episode again that the jets weren't able to keep a consistent yeah. eye on the airspace around the plane because yeah. of their speed requirements. Yeah. yeah. So that's not reliable to me. It's mm-hmm. not. It's not. And and even more so, experts would later say that if Cooper free fell for even just about a thousand feet yeah. before pulling the cord, there's no way they would have seen him. They would have yeah. seen the parachute. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, that so, makes sense. And, yeah. and then that dovetails back with his insistence on those civilian sports parachutes that where you can control right. the deployment of the chute. So there's no question he, uh, that tells me, the fact that he insisted upon it tells me that he fully planned a free fall for a fair amount of time before yep. he opened it. Get some clouds to cover him and yeah. then run away. Because he probably understood. He probably figured some, they're going to be falling this airplane. Yeah. So if I free fall and he probably, and, and this indicates maybe he knew that if he free fell for a little, little bit of time, he'd be they invisible would be to, able them. to see him. Yeah. yeah. He's a smarty pants. Yes. After that, in terms of, oh, he didn't survive it, there's no reason he couldn't have uh, pulled the ripcord and successfully made it to the ground. Yeah. Again, the cold and stuff like that. Oh, he would have frozen to death. That's, that's kind of silly. Did they do things like investigate skydiving schools? And Yeah. I mean, I would imagine they I did. Bet they, I, yeah. And they probably checked the military, like Air Force yeah. mm-hmm. when personnel. We, when we get to resources, there's... I'm sorry, when we get to suspects, there's going to be some folks who had a military background Okay, for that reason. I mean, I would think that too, based off just how much he seems to know about everything. Well, well, he for sure had a parachute background. So yeah, yeah, if if it's not in that days, in those days, if you weren't a flying enthusiast or an instructor, you kind of probably had to be a military. Your right. experience in yeah. parachuting was from the military. And there probably weren't that many like like recreational skydiving Places, yeah, right. doubtful. Seventy-one. 
But everybody's uncle who did it, uh, well, yeah. they, they could learn. Uh, you know, your uncle never skydived. Mm, I'm going to shut up. He did it. I want to write a book. So um, I didn't understand <laughs> that. What is that from? What's what from? What's the thing you just did? Well, uh, <laughs> we'll get to in suspects again. There is just, just an avalanche of people saying my cousin, uncle, father, mm, wife, mother, oh. sister, brother did it. Mm. And they're all <laughs> shit. And one of the hurdles is, okay, well, whoever did it has to have these certain set of skills. Yeah. And Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson could have done it, obviously. Probably, yes. Obviously. Uh, was he old enough? He's Particular probably. set of skills. You know yeah. what? I'm going to put Liam, Liam Neeson, Neeson <laughs> on the suspect list. <laughs> he probably would have been a little bit young. Uh, yeah, I still, still. He's, he's kind of nondescript when he's not being chased by wolves. So... Anyway, exactly where he fell was guesswork, so the FBI decided they'd try a little experiment. Hmm. They had the same Captain William Scott, who had flown him the first time, get back up behind the helm of a 727 just a few days later. <laughs> they did the same time. They did the same route. <laughs> it was even raining again. And they rigged up a 200-pound sled to a parachute, <laughs> and then they opened the, air, the aft exit stairway and tossed that sled rig to a parachute, uh, roughly to mimic his weight. He's sure, and but what if that lands on a car or a <laughs> there kid? Or well, they probably did it over the wilderness too. But yeah, also, but you don't know where the parachute's going to carry it. That's irresponsible. It is a little bit, yes. But the act mimicked the same up and down motion to the tail too. So when they Tossed it out. They you know dragged it down to the stairway, and then t- when it when it actually left the plane, it had that yeah. tail popping up again, just like it has. So it felt like yeah, that feels like what happened to the, what, to the crew. What were they trying to prove with that? Where experiment? the where? So they said at the, where, the exact right time. Remember. We think it's eight thirteen. That's our best guess. Eight thirteen at eight. Again, there's there's various sources tell you eight thirteen, fifteen, twenty, twenty-two. Yeah. But they, in this experiment, they they thought eight thirteen. We'll let it go and then see where it lands. And indeed, it landed somewhere roughly in that Lewis River in southwest Washington. But like you said earlier, winds play a huge role and they can't control the winds. Exactly. How long he free fell. And and I got to assume this was the shoot, probably a military shoot, uh, because they can't. Right. The the stretcher didn't pull its ripcord. So it it probably uh, undeployed at 200 feet. So, yeah, it's not a great thing. But, and remember, it's also. The um, the pie's best guess of where they, but it it, yeah. it was it did put them over that Lewis River area in Washington. So yeah. sure, it kind of dovetailed with what yeah. the pilots the at the time thought approximation. Yeah, exactly. We'll give it that. And this Southwest Washington area is is in the shadow almost of Mount St. Helens, Ooh. that would catastrophically erupt nine years later. Yep. And so it, but it became the focus of the search, this area. Oh my God, he even knew that. So it would destroy all of the evidence. <laughs> He's a genius nine years later. This was near the, again, the, near, is near the Lewis River area. There's also a thing called Lake Merwin, which was a reservoir formed by a dam on the Lewis River. The town of Ariel, Washington was situated along Highway 503 in the heart of the search area, which is only about 40 miles from Portland, Oregon. So it's not like it's, you know, crazy middle yeah. of nowhere kind of okay, place. Okay, so I'm assuming they sent teams of investigators out and Searching. searched, questioned people in the vicinity. I'll get that in a minute. Okay. Yep. So despite this rough triangulation of factors pointing toward this kind of safer, flatter area north of Portland as a landing site, there's still, again, as I mentioned, there was no sense of exactly within it where they could search, so they were extremely thorough. So yes, Carrie, 
They searched every structure, literally every structure they could find in this very wide area of southwest Washington. Barns, cabins, farmhouses. So yeah, they went door to door. Did a guy come to you? Mm-hmm. Dressed nice, <laughs> maybe with sunglasses, maybe without, and ask for food or to, or to use your phone or something like that. And and no one had seen any hide nor hair of Dan of DB Cooper. Huh. Uh, boats skimmed up and down the Lewis River and Lake Merwin and nearby Yale Lake, so they were they thought he could have landed in the water. They looked for any sign. Really, look, they're looking for the parachute on the surface, on yeah. the body below the surface. Yeah, seeing if they could find any side of them there. They had aircraft went up, both fixed ring and helicopters were just all over, littering the sky above, again, looking for a parachute in the canopy all yeah. on the ground somewhere in some lonely meadow. Did they have the technology where they could see if there, the heat of the a, FLIR of a person? The FLIR every ghost things? show. Um, yeah. I don't, uh, they pro- yeah, I'm, I'm sure they had infrared, right? Because that goes back to World War II, I think, doesn't it? I don't I'm not positive. It, no. So I could be way, <laughs> I could be decades off. I don't know. If he was dead, there wouldn't be a heat Correct. center left. So I don't see how that would help. If he was alive. If but he's alive, <laughs> but, I, but he's a person. There were other people there. Look, there's a person. Oh, there's another person. Oh, that's right. We're over But Portland. I mean, over the, the wooded areas. Yeah. Where there weren't um, a lot of people. I don't know. I don't, I, I doubt they had that. I don't know. And also, they had search craft fly the length and breadth of Vic, uh, Vector 23. Remember that? That was the route that oh, Cooper yes. and Captain Scott agreed to take yep. multiple times. So it's going Seattle to Reno, Seattle to Reno, rinse and repeat, checking that whole route just for in the off chance they might see something on the ground. Huh. Like so they were fire very thorough. Uh, mostly uh, the, the best hope was the parachute, that he didn't have time or oh, wasn't able. You know, In their minds, I'm sure they hoped to see the parachute in the tops of the trees and find the body beneath it. Are the very maybe no if he deal. had survived, maybe he had got the parachute got tangled in something. Yeah. He wasn't able to hide it. They're hoped for, and at least they'd have a sign of where he landed. But nada. Occasionally, the searchers would spot something that looked like a parachute, but invariably it turned out to be like a some a piece of plastic junk or just yeah. some kind of colorful trash. A so crop circle. Yeah, <laughs> they'd see from the air, have something go there, and go, yeah, that's just a big old plastic. Uh, you know, a tarp. Yeah. So, yeah. Seriously, something like that. And, yeah. And, oh well. Sorry. They're able to clean up a, a bit of litter though from the area, so yeah, that's nice. That's, that's a plus. cute. For three weeks, local federal state searchers scoured Southwest Washington, and then what happened? Winter set in, mm-hmm. and it's the the weather turned. It started to snow in places. So basically, authorities had to call off the search. Most of the search efforts were called off after about three weeks. Damn. Damn. It's not a very long time to search. No. Well, it's, it's, so it is possible, maybe. As Carrie mentioned earlier, yeah, that's true. it's not impossible he was thinking about that. If you do it in the middle yeah. of summer, they can yeah. search for you for months. But I don't know if, if that's true. I mean, possibly. Yeah. And then maybe the snow cover does hide anything. If you, Maybe if you didn't, if you were able to semi bury yeah. yeah. that parachute, the snow makes it harder to find. I don't know. Rain wash away. Yeah. Some evidence. Like but the authorities were not done. They waited until spring, thawed the snow, on the, and they got back at it again. Mm. Over 200 Army Service personnel from Fort Lewis joined the ground search this time. The Air Force conducted more air searches themselves. National Guardians were called in, and civilians, lots of civilians, pitched in and just looked around for them. They kept it up from mm. March and through much of April in 1972. Wow. Uh, even... They again searched the water. A marine salvage firm called Electronic Explorations Company. They sent a submarine, their search submarine, two hundred feet, two hundred feet into Lake Merwin. Oh, Lake. 
61 meters, by the way. <laughs> so that's a pretty deep lake, isn't it? Yeah. They came up empty. In Oops. fact, as we now know, all of these searches from... They spanned from just after Thanksgiving 1971 until what, about, I guess around Easter 1972, it produced no sign whatsoever yeah. of D.B. Cooper, his remains, or anything associated with him. Woo. Yeah. Then there was a break. <gasps> dun, dun. March 29th, 1972, right in the middle of that second search, that spring search, two women stumbled onto skeletal remains. Oh, oh, you mean skeletal. In Australia and New Zealand, and I guess Britain too, yeah, I, don't know. I would mean skeletal. In the United States, I mean skeletal. Why not? I, I'm okay either way. I was just trained to say skeletal <laughs> as a small child. So they, <laughs> found, <laughs> they found these skeletal remains of a human at the bottom of a grain silo Ooh. at a place called the Grist Mill near the city of Vancouver, Washington. Oh, well, Okay. St. Clark County, that's in southwest Washington. That's right in the area where he could have jumped. Did D.B. Cooper, maybe he's injured from his nighttime skydive. Did he drag his dying body into the silo to maybe hide out and hopefully heal up and unfortunately die? No. No, he did not. In fact, not even close. Oddly, weirdly, the body was that of a missing girl Ooh. named Barbara Ann Derby. She had last been seen hitchhiking along Highway 14, just a few miles away. Uh. She had been stabbed through the heart. I, oh, I, she was, in fact, one of the multiple victims of a local <gasps> serial killer. Mm? Oh, well. Loose at this time. He was later caught not too long after that. So in the search for D.B. Cooper, they came up with the search of the Jeez. body of a serial killer's victim. victim. That's wow. not Green River Killer. No. That was no. later, was I've never heard of him. Yeah. He, was just, he killed four or five young girls <sighs> and women in, uh, in that area. It was in Serial Killer Central. Clearly, PNW, honestly, God, from Northern mm-hmm. California on up. SoCal. That's yeah. where all the serial killers yeah. hang out. Yeah. The whole so, West Coast, let's yeah. be real. It's the West Coast. <laughs> serial killer is kind of a West Coast thing. It's too expensive to live here, so they just start killing. Oh, is that hey. the way it works? Mm-hmm. God, yeah. rent is so crazy. Snap, snap, snap. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Is that a meme? No. That's weird. <laughs> do you know what a meme is? I do, kind of. <laughs> Make it a meme and then turn it into an NFT. Now you're just oh, throwing out fake acronyms at this point. No, we like the environment. I know. What's happening? <laughs> What's We're NFT? not going to get into it. Okay. It's non-fungible. Fun- fungi. Non-fungible fungi. tokens. No mushrooms. Where? Been. Yeah, I guess it's stupid. On TikTok, from millennials. it sucks. I'm not a millennial. I'm a Gen Z. It's very Whatever. crypto, bitches. Anyway, yeah, but you know that the Charlie bit my finger. What's happening? Charlie bit what my is, finger. This is, they turned that video into an NFT, and now they've deleted it permanently from the internet. And you know uh, how much it sold for? Hmm. What like? I don't fucking know. Seven hundred thousand dollars. Oh, fun. I feel like this podcast has been hijacked <laughs> yeah. by this weird ass yes. discussion. Thank you. Yeah. Reel so, it in. <laughs> Months turned into years, and years turned into more years, I guess. <laughs> decades. decades. Decades, there you sure. go. Uh, the FBI ne- did not close the case officially really? until ni- 2016. Wow. Holy moly. Even oh, though, isn't that like an automatic? Like, No, it wasn't. We'll, t- we'll talk about that in a minute. But search efforts, oh, be earlier. after about that April 1972, the search efforts were pretty minimal. Yeah, I mean, it was an open well. case for all those years, but like, yeah, if somebody comes and they have something, you know, yeah. And, yeah. It's, and it's actually, it seems legit, we'll look into it, and they did, but D.B. Cooper, 
had, for all intents and purposes, disappeared off the face of the earth, and whether he is dead or alive and $200,000 richer was anyone's guess. But though the physical searches were more or less complete by the spring of 1972, the FBI had another tactic that they felt had a decent chance of catching their criminal. And want to take a guess? Tracing the money. Tracing the money. Money, money, money. Follow the money, as they say. Paper trail. The FBI sent copies of the serial numbers and all those $20 bills that they had microfilmed, they sent to any place that they thought, you know, a, a wary hijacker might try to launder a big bag full of cash or just a lot of cash. So they sent those serial numbers to casinos, to racetracks, to banks, any business that dealt in a lot of cash. Today, they were sent it to weed businesses, almost certain, for sure. Probably, yeah. Yeah. They sent this info to every law enforcement agency also that they can think of, not just nationwide, worldwide. Because they thought, okay, well, he had the money, he could have left the country. You know, if he's t- passing this money in the Caribbean or whatever, maybe yeah. we can find out. Yeah. Northwest Orient Airlines, they offered a reward of up to $25,000 or 15% of the ransom haul. The ransom haul was $200,000, so whichever was less. So 30, 15% would be $30,000. So why they didn't just kick in the extra 5K yeah. is very yeah. confusing. It's like 25,000 bucks or 15%, but whichever is less. We're not going to give you 30K. Do they mean 15% of, of what would be recovered? Because, I mean, they know what the ransom was. The ransom was $200,000. Yeah. I know. So, well, if you recovered... So it's a ten thousand bucks. You get fifteen percent. Okay, is what the reward so it's a was. what? Yeah, gets recovered. Which so whichever uh, up to max twenty five k. But again, max fifteen percent of the full two hundred was thirty thirty thousand bucks. So just make it thirty thousand Northwest. So does that mean if they catch somebody gives a tip, they catch DB Cooper, and they never recover any money, that person gets nothing? Uh, there were other rewards for him for catching him. From, okay. This is the, the airline did this reward. Okay. So oh. if, you, if, you get, uh, if you get that money back. So like from the FBI or yeah. something. Yeah. Pizza party. You know, I wonder if it was, because they paid $180,000. Um, Thank you. I'm sorry, the, their insurance company paid $180,000. The airline was out $200,000. They had insurance. They had hijack insurance. Wow. So the, their insurance Smart. company d- did pay the m- most of it. Wow. Whatever employee was, was like, we should get hijacked. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, shut up, Dale. You're so stupid. He's like, see, I was right. Next, they should have also gotten volcano insurance. <laughs> oh, you should always get volcano insurance. That's always. Awesome. Well, uh, well, in that area, actually, yeah. yes. So yeah. I thought you meant just later. more generally. So the general public was also brought in when U.S. Attorney General John Mitchell who would later serve time in prison for Watergate because he was a piece of shit. Harken <laughs> back to our, they probably our yes, episode on the, Martha Mitchell. Martha Mitchell, very good. Mouth good callback here. Good callback. I yep. like that. Episode. <laughs> <laughs> John Mitchell released those serial numbers to the general public. So before they had sent them to whatever, casinos and banks and things like that. Now they said, everybody, we're going to put them on our website. They didn't say this in 1972. <laughs> but they released it. They release all the serial numbers. So if you see anything like this, if you see any $20 bill with these numbers, tell us. It's, okay, realistically, logistically, where would they, where would one go to find these serial numbers? I don't know. Probably, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Look at the library, but, look but, at the microphone. But they probably said, yeah. look, they're $20 bills. They have the, the um, San Francisco bank on it, and they start with L. Right, so I'll bet you there are a lot of people looking at any twenty dollar bill with yeah. an L f- for years. Yeah, looking at it a little closer, and, and who knows if they're going to look it up somewhere. I don't know where. Yeah, but yeah, huh. I don't know. Now he just went post he office. Had, he had a press conference, just sort Betcha. of rattling off the numbers. 
Bulletin board at the post office. Maybe a bulletin yes. board at the post office, Karen. Mm-hmm. Let's go with that. Well, that's where they put the most wanted posters. So. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Carrie's like dropping some info, some knowledge. <laughs> Why post not? Office, Makes guys. sense. Post Jeez, office, Stevie Cooper. This is old timey info that these young whippersnappers uh, don't have. They don't have those about. in post offices Fuck. anymore? They don't do like most they, wanted. They probably do, the but ask office. these two Me? young people next to you when's the last time they were inside a post office? When's the last time you inside a post office? To get my passport photo. Yeah, but Last time you, ha- you had to go okay. to the post office and I was there. That was a few years ago. Also, when was the last time you were in a post office? Carrie, ask me when I was the last time I was in a uh, post office. A few days ago. Why? Now ask me. Ask me. When was the last time you were in post office? I have no idea. I, many, many years. Yes. Yeah. So, so yeah, inconsistent so, reasoning, yeah. bitch, cut off. We're all kind of angry at you now. Jesus yeah. Christ. <laughs> but in the 70s, don't patronize me adults my age. used to go to the post office <laughs> all the time. Great. Okay. We Why don't are you have angry to. About it? No, she I'm is, not. She is angry. She's legitimately angry right now. I'm glad that we don't have to waste our time hey, in have, gas. The hijack's being po- the podcast is being hijacked. The hijack's again. being podcast. It guys. is. So, because of this, though, this little this John Mitchell get letting it be known widely, the serial numbers of these bills. Investigators got another head fake later in 1972. Two men had secured thirty thousand dollars from a national news magazine called Newsweek which still exists, but barely, but at the time was a major, very profitable, uh, it was probably the, the second most popular news magazine to it was, Time magazine. It was like Time. It was like Time. Yeah. So I'm, because I don't, I don't know, if, I legitimately don't know if it still exists. I think it might. I think it does. Okay. I think it does too. So he showed, the, these two men showed the Newsweek reporter a few $20 bills with serial numbers that matched the serial numbers that John <gasps> Mitchell had released they were part of the Cooper loot. They further said, so we got this from D.B. Cooper. We Ooh. know him. He's our friend. We will grant you an exclusive interview with D.B. Cooper. You can't tell us, you know, he'll hide his identity, whatever. And for 30000 bucks, we'll give Newsweek an exclusive in- interview with the D.B. Cooper. Here's the money to prove that we know him. So... Huge scoop for Newsweek, right? Just a huge scoop. Biggest scoop of the year for sure. Yeah. Except the bills were fake. Counterfeit. Yeah. Boop. Of course. It's a scam to get $30,000. It worked. Oh, Lord. The two men, oh, no. It's amazing. The two men disappeared with 30000 bucks. Yeah. 5000 more than reward offered by Northwest. Yeah. And they didn't have to jump out of a plane. So yeah. not a bad little... That Newsweek report, I hope, was fire. But can you imagine? Like, oh, yeah. sorry. Sorry about that, guys. I like them. Yeah. That's smart. Hey, what happened, journalists? You don't pay for interviews. Oh, really? Because they do all the time. I'm not supposed to. <laughs> Some local newspapers in the, in Portland in that area offered rewards for Cooper Cash, <laughs> but none <laughs> was ever found. That is, until 1980. Through the work of a little boy. Oh, I know this. February 10th, 1980. Only a little over three months now before Mount St. Helens is going to erupt and wreck the place. Which, by the way, some now think did indeed bury any kind of remnant evidence Mm. of D.B. Cooper, the Mount St. Helens eruption. But about just a few months before that, Brian Ingram, he remembers that day like he was eight years old because he was eight years (laughs) old at the time. He was vacationing with his family along the Columbia River. They were camping on a beachfront spot called Tina Bar. It's spelled T-E-N-A on the map. Some people spell it Tina like the name, which is weird. Mm. 
A lot of Tina's are at bars, though, aren't they? I just feel like there's a bar name. Tina? Tina, yeah. yeah. Or I wouldn't know. Yeah. Tina Bar was about nine miles to the north that is downriver from Vancouver, Washington. So this is north of Portland. Brian was raking the sand because he's going to help his family build a campfire that night because they're going to roast marshmallows and have <gasps> s'mores, Aye, I assume. That's so fun. It is fun. Yum, yum. But as he scraped the sand away to create kind of a hollow there for the fire to put the logs, Brian uncovered three packets filled with something. He could feel something in these paper packets. He opened one of the packets and saw... Money. Cash. Cold, hard. Lots of it. I would enjoy that. Old and beaten and soggy, but each held a thick wad of $20 bills. Dollar, dollar bills, y'all. The packets were buried shallow, kind of shallow beneath the sand, and they were held together by rubber bands. There were $120 bills in two of the packets, and there were 90 of the 100 that should have been in, in there in the third. The FBI came right away. They checked the serial numbers against those they had given D.B. Cooper eight and a half years ago, and they matched. Hmm. And they were also, by the way, in the exact order of, of how the bills were, were sorted. So they, huh. they knew for sure this was part of the Cooper loop. Yeah. Brian Ingram had finally found some, an uh, actual tangible evidence of D.B. Cooper. I would have said, you better give me the not these bills, but the equivalent. <laughs> yeah, they were bad. They were beaten up. They were holy. They were nasty. The first question the FBI asked was, had the money been purposely buried at Tina Bar or had it found its way there through some other means? The weathering of the bills, they were kind of rounded. Their edges and, and their the holy, as I mentioned, they were beaten up and they had holes in them. They, and this kind of, this situation, or this, this uh, they were kind of corroded. It told authorities that they had been washed down the Columbia River. I, I was going to gonna ask. They're yeah. fairly certain they Were had they been close in the water. Enough? Yeah. yeah. So they've been washed down the Columbia River. They landed in this this sort of sandbar at, at Tina Bar along the Columbia River, and then they were buried naturally. Sand was was sediment, I guess, over them until Brian came along with his plastic rake. Hmm. This was very telling, by the way. So first, a little digression. There may be a good reason that. The, the law never found E.B. Cooper or, or his remains back in 1971 until Brian, found, Brian Ingram found some evidence in 1980 because they were looking in the wrong place. Captain Scott had been flying the plane manually. That's because they were flying at 10,000 feet and they had all this, the landing gear down at Sedley. So he had to fly the plane manually. He couldn't put it on autopilot, right? And also to keep that, that speed and altitude. He would later come to believe that he had flown further east of Vector 23 than he had first calculated. A Continental Airlines pilot named Tom Bohan would also agree. He said Tom Bohan had been flying the jet that took off and followed Flight 305 four minutes. He was just four minutes behind D.B. Cooper's jet when it was going from Seattle to Reno on the second, uh, on the second flight, which is weird to me. I would think they close that airport the rest of the night. Yeah. Certainly not. Four, you know what? Business as usual. Let's keep busy. We got to get people to where they're going. So it had flown, he had flown faster and higher than the Cooper plane, but he had gone along a similar route. And he said, look, the wind was whipping up there and it was changing directions. And he felt that they had miscalculated the speed and direction of the wind. And so they had miscalculated exactly where he had probably jumped and where it would have been at 8.13 p.m. He estimated that it was over the Washougal River, which is east 
of Portland. It's, so it's, it's upriver from where the, the landing zone was. The Washougal River, River feeds into the Columbia River at the town of Camas. Looked it up, 27 miles east of Tinabar. That is upriver from where the Washougal fed to Columbia. So does that make sense? So yeah. if you, if, in the Washougal, that water could have gone in the Washougal and, and flown down, flown down? Could have drifted <laughs> by, by the river to Tinabar, 27 miles down river. The money could absolutely have reached the location of where Brian found it if D.B. Cooper had lost it over the Rashugo River. The Lewis River, conversely, is north of Columbia. Um, I'm sorry, north of the Tinabar area. The Columbia, it it goes kind of east-west for a long time, but then at Portland or so, it veers sharply northward. So it goes northward for a long time. And that's where you find the Lewis River feeds into it. So where the Lewis River, if anything had fallen into the Lewis River where they surged, and gone into the Columbia, it'd be already well past Tina Bar. So it's impossible mm. for that money to have got there if he had landed or if it had been lost somehow over where their main search area was. So all that makes sense? Because I think mm-hmm. it's pretty critical. critical. The, I mean, it's just, it's just, if we trust that money with D.B. Cooper's, and we know it was, he could not have jumped where they thought he jumped. <laughs> people also ask how the packets to stay together and be buried with one another. That seemed weird to a lot of people. Uh, people wondered what happened to those 10 bills in the third packet. Well, that's what I was going to say. Maybe that's not how they got there. Well, they all, well, hold on. They also wondered where the rubber band, why the rubber band hadn't completely disintegrated by then mm. if it had been buried all those nine years. Uh-huh. So these factors indicated to somebody that the loot had been buried at Tina Bard later right. than 1971 when he went onto the ground. In fact, in 1974, there had been extensive dredging operations in that Tina Bar area. So, and somebody did some analysis with the layers, and they showed pretty conclusively that it would have had to have been deposited there after 1974. So it's like, oh, okay, so someone buried it there intentionally yeah. later on. Yeah. Uh, so, but why would Cooper bury part of his loot in this place it was a vacation spot yeah it wasn't the middle of nowhere why would he do that it could be something even weirder than that maybe he didn't maybe somebody else found it someplace else same question though so somebody finds a little bit of loot and they buried it at Tina Bar some people even surmised (laughs) some people thought it was animals like the raccoon was like burying his nest egg (laughs) or something like that there have been lots of things like that they all have the same problem there's no motivation this makes no sense to bury a little bit of the loot well person like if somebody found that's all they found right yeah and they why bury it why would you ever bury it because they knew they couldn't use it why not well, or turn it in and get a people, reward. Yeah, Why would you bury true. it? That makes no sense. Yeah, I don't, yeah I, I don't. I think the burying thing makes no sense. Here's the most likely answer is that the money did find its way downriver, but it was dislodged. So in other words, if it's up upriver in the Washougal and it's there in branches or whatever, for it would just have to be there for three years and then it gets dislodged sometime after 1974, after those dredging operations, and then it makes its way downriver and is buried. So it could have been buried right after in 1975 or yeah. six or whatever. Sure. So anyway, that's what I, my, that's my best guess on how that money made its yeah. way to Tina Bar, but it doesn't it doesn't tell us that much more. By the way, many private enthusiasts have searched all over the Washougal River, thinking, okay, now let's look at the second place. No one's found anything. Yeah. Then again, it hasn't been nearly the extensive search as it was. So side note, yes, Jack, Brian and his family eventually did get half the money they found. Wow. No, I'd say six more with interest. Six years later. <laughs> six years later, oh, God. they got half. 
The other the half police. went to the insurance company that paid out most yeah. of the ransom. Oh, yeah, my that's, God, that's, that's some bullshit. That's evil. That does seem like bullshit. Brian Ingram, though, had a last laugh. In 2008, he took 15 of those bills that he was given back, back but, but apparently they gave him back the actual money. Oh, wow. Half of the money, and he kept that money. That was nice. So he took 15 of those weathered bills, and he sold them for, yeah. auctioned them off for $37,000. Uh, so good for you, Brian. He should have held out. He, couldn't, he could have gotten a lot more than that, I'll bet you. <laughs> the excitement from the discovery of the money on Tina Barr quickly faded, though, and soon the FBI, FBI went back to pretending they were still investigating the case, right? Yeah. In 2007, the FBI announced that they had been able to develop a partial DNA profile from the tie clip. Oh. Oddly enough. They couldn't be sure, though, that it really was Cooper's DNA. Who knows? It had been handled for decades by that time. Yeah, that's yeah. true. The cigarette butts would have been so much better for DNA, but, oh, that's right. The FBI lost them. Yeah. Let's not make them feel any worse than Maybe they they'll find them. Mm, what? The cigarette butts? Yeah. I suppose that's possible. They they're in some box in, somewhere. Yeah. They're in boxes of evidence. Mm. Yeah. Federal so, to yeah. FBI. I mean, God, there's, there's warehouses of yeah. evidence. So, sure, they could have just gotten misplaced. So, yeah, maybe they're in Warehouse 13. Oh, you know, I had not about that, but yes, yes. In 2016, the FBI finally stopped pretending to still be investigating the case officially. <laughs> On July 13th, the head of the Seattle FBI office, quote, redirected resources from the case that they called Norjack. Its code name was, had always been Norjack, the Norjack case. <laughs> the agency Clever. said, quote, because every time the FBI assesses additional tips for the Norjack case, investigative resources and manpower are diverted from programs that more urgently needed attention. In other words, leave us the fuck alone. Yeah. yeah. We're done with D.B. Cooper. He'd be 90. So still, to this day, hundreds of web sleuths and D.B. Cooper enthusiasts continue to hunt for a man who lit at least his, well into his 80s, yeah. Yeah. if not 90 years old. The legend lives on. There has been movies, The Pursuit of D.B. Cooper in 1981 with the inimitable... Treat Williams. Oh, don't know who that is. An acting delight. Without a Paddle was made in 2004, where some friends went to go find a DB Cooper's. Loot. They go into the wilderness to find DB Cooper's oh. loot, thinking they can find the treasure, and they actually find his body. Spoiler alert, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah. I thought that was like just some stupid slapstick comedy I, movie. It doesn't sound like that. It sounds yeah. like it's John Candy and Joe Flaherty in <laughs> Without a Paddle. Isn't it Dak Shepard and Seth Green? I have absolutely no idea. Yes, yes really? it is. Is yeah. it really Sean okay. Williams? Scott. Really? Maybe, yeah. Maybe? That's well, maybe hilarious. I had no idea that's what it was about. I hope we're talking uh, about the same movie, 2004. We are. Okay. Yeah. It is, yes. Yeah. Ariel Washington is in the heart of the search zone that the authorities originally thought Cooper jumped. That is the Lewis River area, not where he probably did in, in Meshugal, Meshugal, whatever it is. The Ariel General Store and Tavern has a Cooper Mania archive, mm. and they hold the town holds a D.B. Cooper Festival every year. Holy moly. Yeah. Jesus. Go for the lookalike contest. They have a D.B. Cooper lookalike contest. <laughs> Everybody? Uh, everybody? Just like so many, half the town enters because this guy's Probably. So... Well, go for that, but stay for the apple pie shaped like D.B. Cooper's face? Question mark? Maybe mm. not. So we're going to put that on our list, by the way, after we go to Wheeling, West uh -huh. Virginia to find Moth Mothman, and then we go to Montauk to find underground tunnels where little mm. kids were tortured into... Uh, air, astral projection will go to uh, Washington and do D.B. Cooper Mania. Sure. Next week, <laughs> we're bringing the final episode, episode three of the D.B. Cooper Mystery. We're going to tell you who did it. Actually, we're not because we don't know, but we will examine some the best suspects and let you decide. Sound good? Uh, it was Ted Cruz. <laughs> <laughs> Probably was. Carrie, what? tell them things. Thank you. Weird World Podcast. <laughs> 
at gmail.com and on Facebook and Instagram and Patreon and World World Pod on Twitter. All right. Until then, see you. See you next week. Toots.